Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I actually played a really cool board game over the weekend. Not sports related, but it was really fun. Are you going to reveal the name of this board game? Yes, it was called Time Stories, and it's kind of like a mystery and you can only play the variant once but apparently they're gonna have like other expansions with the game like you buy another deck and you can play it but it's a board game and you go through like a place and try to figure out what's going on it's really fun highly recommend it time stories fun times cool any board game listeners out there check that out uh we've been talking a lot uh, college football that seemed to be the focus for the last couple of podcasts so this podcast is going to be anything but college football we have some nba nfl and mlb to talk about we have a lot of just kind of different issues that we're going to be hopping around these leagues and talking about uh, i think the biggest news out of the last week though is that the golden state warriors their winning streak came to an end uh, against the milwaukee bucks uh, just a couple nights ago on Saturday, uh, 108 to 95 defeat. And it really wasn't that close uh, for the whole game. I mean, the, the Bucks at halftime were up 11. Uh, the Warriors tried to make a run kind of in that third quarter, but uh, Milwaukee closed it out with a 28 to 18 fourth quarter and, and, and won comfortably with a 13 point lead. Chris, what are your thoughts on the streak on that game? And, and just what put put the Warriors streak in perspective for us. Well, first off, if you're playing the Milwaukee Bucks within a 34-game span, you're probably not going to break the Los Angeles Lakers record because, oddly enough, the Milwaukee Bucks also ended their streak back in 1972, 120-104 to 104 by a similar margin of victory as well. So I thought that was kind of funny from a historical standpoint that the Bucks ended the two longest streaks in NBA history. Obviously, the Warriors streak dates back to last year, 24 games this year, four games last year. It's, you know, I never got into the streak that much, and I don't want to sound like I'm minimizing it because it is an impressive accomplishment because, I mean, you know, only I'm looking at this list here, only six teams, two are tied for fifth, have won 20 in a row or more, Two of them did it over the course of, you know, two different seasons. The Washington Capitals won their 20 in a row, 5 plus 15, and then, of course, these Golden State Warriors. So when you look at it in the scope of history, historically, yes, it's a great accomplishment. It's an amazing achievement, and it's something that certainly should be celebrated by the Warriors, by their fans, by all of that. But but let me just point something out here, and I don't want you guys to take this the wrong way, the listeners. Last year, the Hawks had a heck of a run. They were 33-2 over a 35-game stretch and had a 19-game win streak. They were undefeated in January, finished 60-22, and but they didn't even get to the NBA Finals. They were swept out of the playoffs. Now, I'm not saying the Warriors are the Hawks because I didn't forget that the Warriors won 67 games in the NBA title last year, but this is, we're not even into January yet. They're 25 games into a very, very, very long season. They've got four months left. So as impressive and as historical as this streak is, to me, 
Winning 24 games in a row in November, December doesn't really move the needle for me all that much. Just because four months from now, if Draymond Green is hurt, if Stephon Curry is hurt, if they're dealing with major issues, well, that's going to be more impactful on how we remember this team more so than this streak. I think the streak is going to go down in NBA history, but every time one of these teams gets on a run like this, I have to actually go back and look up what the record is because I just I don't remember streaks in the NBA. I remember the teams that ultimately win the title. And this Golden State Warriors team is going to be remembered for what it does in April, May, and maybe June as opposed to what it's done in November, December. Impressive accomplishment, but I still think that it's not as far as this team's concerned, it's not their primary goal. It's it's absolutely impressive, and and you know I I don't want to take anything away from it. Uh, like you said, having a putting together a twenty game win streak in the NBA is really hard to do and very rare. So we should appreciate that. And I think that just kind of in terms of the the season, obviously the Warriors have established themselves as the team to beat right now. Uh, that being said, there are 58 games left just in the regular season plus postseason play. So where do you go from here? Uh, you put together this win streak. Obviously, that takes a lot of energy, a lot of attention. You know, what's the bounce back going to be? And as soon as one of those guys in that starting lineup went down and Clay Thompson with an ankle injury, he he's not not a serious injury, but he's missed a couple games and he, he missed that Milwaukee game. Um as soon as one of those starters went down, they started to have trouble. Uh, they, they survived a double overtime scare earlier in the week. You know, you could kind of see the writing on the wall for the Warriors team as soon as they kind of lost their... The, the best thing about the Warriors is that they do have star power in Thompson and Curry, and then they have a ton of depth behind them, guys that play really well in their roles, but we've never seen them deal with adversity in the last year and a half they've been very blessed with their health so that's what i'm going to look forward in that's what i'm going to look for in them going forward in the future are they going to be able to survive injury scares like you said uh can they stay healthy for 50 more games and then go into a, a grueling postseason so i think you saw that the warriors can be beat obviously they, they lost one game and in, in the first quarter of the season but I think you saw that uh, they they have been blessed with health for uh, blessed for health when teams all around them ha- deal with injuries all the time. Let's see what happens when some adversity happens with them. Certainly, and I think that's the one kind of knock on them. They've accomplished a lot, and we're not taking anything away from sixty-seven wins. But everything really went right last year. They didn't deal with a major prolonged injury like teams like Cleveland did, like the Clippers did, like the Spurs did. They didn't deal with those kind of injuries that some of the other teams... The Rockets were decimated by injuries depth-wise. They didn't lose their two stars, but their bench, they lost three of their key role players. So the the point I'm making here is the Warriors have got to show that they can do what they did last year. Can they make it to April healthy? And can they go through another grueling Western Conference? Because the Spurs... For all the games Golden State has won are just four games behind the Warriors for the number one seed in the Western Conference. You go on a 24-game win streak and you only have a four-game lead. I mean, 
The Spurs are right there with them. The Cavs have not been healthy all year, yet for most of the year, they've been number one in the East. Now, I understand the East is weaker than the West. I mean, the Cavs are sitting there at 15-7. and seven. That would be fourth in the Western Conference right now. But the point is, they haven't been 100%, and they're still getting it done Let's see what happens if, and you got to stress the if, because they might not. They might have the good fortune of not facing that kind of adversity again. And nobody wants to see injuries, but for a team to make it through 82 games completely unscathed, or virtually completely unscathed, like the Warriors did last year, is probably the exception, not the norm. So let's see what, what they can do over 58 more games. Bob, the other question is, of course, are they going to get 72? Are they going to break that record and go 73 and 9 even at 24 and 1 that feels like it's so far away though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you almost have to win 50 more games. That's a ridiculous uh, amount. I I don't think so just because you know, every team is going to hit a low and even the Warriors have off nights. Uh they easily could have lost a couple more games earlier in the in the past 2 weeks. Uh, that seems like a record that is going to be very hard to beat. And I just, I just, I don't think that uh, it's necessary for any team to kind of chase that. We've seen that durability and endurance, like we talked about is, is the name and name of the game and surviving the NBA postseason. Why would you kind of go out there and try and, and achieve a record that really is unnecessary? Uh, the Warriors can easily get the top three, seeds in the west and rest their guys and be strategic and, and giving some days off just like all the top teams do so i i don't think they're going to do it i don't think there's really a need to do it and just as a correction clay thompson did play in that milwaukee game it was his first game back from injury and he had kind of like a rough night so um yeah i don't i don't think they're gonna get to get to that that historic bulls record yeah, I don't think so either. Not because I don't think that they have a shot, because when you start 24-1, and one, you definitely have a shot at it. But I just think in this day and age of the NBA, that record's going to be very tough to break because, as you said, the emphasis on, is on survival. It's on getting to the playoffs unscathed, getting to the playoffs with all your guys, not winning as many games as possible. You win as much as necessary to clinch your best possible seed, and then you rest your guys, get them as healthy as possible because, man, 82 games... With back-to-backs, I don't care if it's spread out for six months. It's a grind. It has to be. And then you have a two-month odyssey that is the playoffs if you go all the way to the NBA Finals. So you need you guys as fresh and as healthy as possible for that long postseason run that really feels like a second regular season. I remember when the Cavs were in the NBA Finals, the series against the Bulls felt like it was ancient i mean it was only two rounds ago but it just felt ancient to me that it happened it just felt like it happened almost a year ago i mean that's how long the playoffs really feel as a fan watching it i can't imagine what it's like to play those games in such a short time after an 82 game regular season so i don't think the record will be broken by the warriors again we're not trying to pile on here 20 game win streak and a 20 them for them a 28 game win streak nearly a 30 game win streak exceptionally impressive certainly will go down in history give Luke Walton his wins come on man and on top of that you know you got to tip your hat to the Warriors uh doing something that I don't think anyone else has done start 24 and 0 much less win 28 straight regular season games so hats off to the Warriors but in, in the grand scheme of things I don't think this is that important 
yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the Warriors are are definitely in place to be one of the top teams in the West. They're going to have a really good year. Uh, we're just talking about very historic rec- numbers that, uh, as we said, aren't really beneficial to, to winning NBA championships. So I don't see it happening. Um, you know, we, we focus, we've talked a lot of the Warriors streak. Chris, what are some other stories in the NBA right now that are kind of interesting you? I know that for both of us, it's hard to get into the NBA before the new year, but uh, any key takeaways from the first quarter of the season? Yeah, the Indiana Pacers seem to be back. Uh, they're 13-9. and nine. They were flirting with the top spot in the East there for a bit, and then they lost a couple games, but they're still right there. The East is exceptionally tight. The Cavs are in first. The Detroit Pistons, actually the Atlanta Hawks, are in ninth, two and a half games out of first. The Magic are 10th three and a half games out of first so the eastern conference is really really tight this year and the pacers are right there in fifth two games out of first they jump out at me because paul george is back and they went out and traded for monte ellis a lot of people thought they might be going in the other direction after getting rid of roy hibbert and david west but they've kind of reinvented themselves offensively they're averaging 103.5 points per game which is good enough for second in the East, believe it or not, behind the Boston Celtics. So, you know, it's it, 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 they have been kind of a renaissance team, especially after last year losing Paul George and almost making the playoffs even without him for most of the season. Uh, that was kind of an unfortunate setback he had with Team USA. So it's good to see him back and playing at a high level. And the Pacers seem to be a, a threat in the East now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Anytime a team loses a guy like Paul George, they're going to have an off year. But they still had, you know, they won some games last year. And with George coming back, uh, it was pretty natural to expect them having a bounce back year. You know, look at the Eastern Conference. Like you said, there are 10 teams uh, above 500. And look in the Western Conference, Utah Jazz are sitting in the eighth seed at uh, 10 and 12. It's kind of like a role reversal. I'm looking at a couple of the teams that are out of uh, are below 500 though right now uh the washington wizards at 10 and 12 has to be a disappointment uh you and i both are kind of have been have recognized that they're a good team for the past couple of years and i think we both said that they're one of the better teams in the east in our preview podcast and even the bucks are, are 10 and 15 that was a playoff team last year the biggest surprise for me though Look at the 14th team in the Western Conference, the New Orleans Pelicans at 6-17. and 17. That was a team that a lot of people thought were going to have a breakout year. Anthony Davis had his breakout year last year. They added some pieces. You thought they were going to make a run, and they're really struggling. That's good for the second-worst record in the Western Conference. Uh, that has to be disappointing. Extremely disappointing how the New Orleans Pelicans are the third-worst team in the NBA, ahead of only the Lakers and the 76ers, that is, is that is just mind-boggling to me. You got to think that they can turn it around, but in the West, everything's so brutal. And you're right, there is kind of a role reversal going on here. Normally, the Western Conference is producing eight or nine winning teams, but right now, the Eastern Conference has 10 teams above 500, the Magic at 12 and 11 being the 10th. You go to those Western Conference, the the seventh seed, you're at 500, 12, and 12. So while the West is top-heavy with the Warriors, Spurs, and Thunder, after that, there's been some disappointments. I mean, the Clippers are only 14 and 10, and everyone else is kind of hovering around that 500 mark. So 
the Eastern Conference, I think, is experiencing a bit of a turnaround. Six teams still in single-digit losses compared to the West, uh, only three. So, yeah, I definitely think that there might be a minor power shift over here. Now, I do think some of those Western Conference teams are better than their records, but you look at the Cavaliers, the Bulls, the Pacers, the Heat, and as you mentioned, the Wizards are probably going to be better than they are, but the Hornets right up there at 14-9. and nine. The Celtics were a playoff team last year, and the Pistons made some solid moves to get themselves in the eighth spot at 14-11. And, and the Hawks aren't even in the playoffs, and they were the number one team in the East last year at 14-11 and right now. So there might be a little bit of a power shift going on as far as that Eastern-Western Conference uh, you know, war that everything goes on. It's been, it's been weighted for the West for as long as I can remember, and it seems like the East is bouncing back a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And those top three teams you mentioned in the West uh, are combined 35 and four in conference, the Warriors, Spurs, and Thunder. That's going to keep uh, the rest of the conference's records down. But I think the general idea is that the Eastern Conference continues to improve a little bit and there's there's more depth and they might actually field eight playoff teams that are above 500, which will be refreshing to see uh, if that actually comes to fruition. That also means 10 of their losses have come against the East. Uh-oh. Yeah. Eastern Conference might be on its <laughs> way back, man. Hey, hey, that's that's another good stat that's in favor of the East. You top three teams have all been 10 of their 10 of their 14 losses all coming to Eastern Conference teams, including the Warriors being knocked off by those quote-unquote lowly Milwaukee Bucks. Better watch out, West. Power shifting towards the East. Uh, we will we'll have to see. I need to see more than just a quarter of a season, but... Yeah, it, it the seems sun to be... sets in the west, Bob. It's about <laughs> to rise in the east. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, th- no, but you're you're absolutely right. It is only a quarter of the season. We're not going to overreact before before the All Star game. Yeah, I need to see a full season before I uh, pronounce anything. Um, all right. Well, I think that's uh, enough NBA for now. As the season goes on, we're going to ramp that up. Uh, you know, Christmas Day games is is always a nice jumping off point for for the second half of the NBA season. But uh, let, let's move over to the NFL. Uh, we're into week 14. Uh, a lot of key things are happening. Playoff pictures taking shape. Uh, there's one undefeated team now left, Chris, and I think it's the most unlikely one, the one that we continue to kind of disregard. That's the Carolina Panthers. Uh, look at their schedule for the next three games. Uh, at Giants, at Falcons, and then hosting Tampa Bay. That seems like a really easy path to 16-0. and do you think the Panthers are going to do it? Don't sleep on the Giants. I don't know why. This feels like a New York Giants kind of year in the sense that they're rolling, they're kind of treading water in a weak division. If they get into the playoffs, they'll backdoor into it. But the last two times they did that, they just went on a run. And this kind of feels like a year that the Giants are going to do something like that. Now, I'm not saying they're going to the Super Bowl or anything, but they are facing a 13-0 team at home this week. I think if the Panthers get through that game, they're going 16-0 because they just annihilated Atlanta last weekend. And Tampa Bay, as improved as the Bucks are, and Jameis Winston making a very strong case for Rookie of the Year, who, along with Marcus Mariota, that's going to be a fun race to watch down the stretch as those two quarterbacks have been very strong in the one and two picks but not to get sidetracked I don't think the Bucks have it in them beating Carolina in Carolina 
I think that this Giants game is the big test. If the Panthers can get by the Giants, they're going undefeated. They've already clinched the division and a first-round bye. So everything else is kind of gravy. They do need to lock up that number one seed to get home field. But I think they only need to win like one more game in order to do that. So that shouldn't be too challenging for them. But yeah, I, I think they can if they beat New York this weekend. That's the game to watch. So you think they can. Do you think they should go for it? Or do you think they should rest in that final week against Tampa no. Bay? No, you do not punt on a perfect season. And I, I will give you an example. We have a recent history. New Indianapolis Colts. Now, I understand that that Super Bowl was pretty close against the Saints. But they had a shot at the perfect season at 14-0. They were beating the Jets in the third quarter. They pulled out their starters and punted on it. And I think that that kind of shook them a little bit. I think when you have a shot at something like that, you go pedal to the metal, go for it. 16-0, 19-0. I don't believe in the pressure to win. I think that is a good kind of pressure to have. It's something that you're supposed to do. It's something you're supposed to strive for. I would be very disappointed if the Panthers don't go for it if they're if they still have a shot at it in weeks fifteen or sixteen and seventeen. Yeah, I, I have I, I'm tending to agree with you, but uh my only reason to rest at all is if cam newton is dinged up at any point uh two weeks ago when they were at the saints very close game that ended up being 41 38 victory uh they needed a late quarter drive from from cam newton and they did a quarterback draw on third down and he i thought they were gonna have to take him out the game he was on the ground for a little bit struggled to get up and then they went for it on fourth down because that's ron what ron rivera does and Cam Newton made a Cam Newton play that no other quarterback would have made, scrammed a little bit, made a really nice touch pass to Greg Olson, and they ended up driving for the game-winning score in that play. Uh, you need Cam Newton healthy, man, and I just worry about his health. I say it every time we talk about him, but he takes so many hits, hits that no other quarterback really takes, and you know, as the season wears on, you got to wonder how many more hits he has left. Uh so if there's any kind of worry about him being dinged up at all heading into those last couple games, I would absolutely rest. And then I would subsequently rest a lot of guys just to stay healthy. Um, but I'm with you. If everything's clicking on all cylinders, like it was when they steamrolled the Falcons who have completely fallen out of the playoff picture after, you know, having that, what were they six and oh, they were six and one and they have lost six straight. Yeah. Uh, has, that has to be very disappointing for, for Atlanta, but um, the Panthers should be all in, uh, and they look like they're getting stronger as the season wears on. They should absolutely go for that perfect record and kind of establish themselves some momentum heading into the postseason. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I don't think you punt a perfect season. I, I think even if Cam Newton were to get hurt in Week 16 or 17, going for an undefeated record, I don't think anyone would blame them for trying for it because at the end of the day, that's a very special mark. Only one other team has gone undefeated. They were 14-0, the Miami Dolphins, back in the 70s. 14-0, and then they went 17-0. Only one team in NFL history started 18-0, and that's the New England Patriots. Only one team has gone 16-0 in the regular season. That, again, is the 07 New England Patriots. We all know how that ended with the catch in the Super Bowl. We won't relive it. But the point is, I think the Panthers should go for it. I think they will go for it, and I think they have, after this New York game, they should get it. I think that's their toughest game on their schedule. 
yeah yeah absolutely if if they get through this i think it's it's pretty clear water to for a perfect season um oh and by the way we had the mvp debate a few weeks back i think cam newton's locked it up i don't think it's going to be close i think cam newton is going to win the mvp race in the landslide yeah he's running away with it and he's padding up his stats the last couple year uh games he's throwing a lot of touchdowns so yeah it's he's running away with it i think uh at the moment that we had that debate was probably the last time that debate was relevant. Uh, since that time, uh, he's, he's pulled ahead of Tom Brady by, by a good margin. Um, but speaking of the Pats, uh, they had a little bit of a skid, a, a two game losing streak. Uh, they seem to be riding the ship with that win against Houston last night. Uh, Chris, do they look like they're back on track? Well, it really, really helps. And I don't want the Bengals fan to take this the wrong way, but Andy Dalton going down and Pittsburgh beating Cincinnati helps the Patriots immensely. We'll get to that in a minute. That would be a terrible story if Andy Dalton can't make it back for the postseason. And then the Denver Broncos were owning Oakland. They were up 12-0, somehow only four field goals against Oakland. And then the Raiders come back and win 15-14, another example of when Oh, no, excuse me, 15 to 12. Another example of when not to go for two. They decided to go for two up 15 to 12 instead of kicking the field goal to go up 16 to 12. Don't understand that call. But again, we're talking about the Patriots right now. The point is those two losses put the Patriots back in control for the number one overall seed. And the Bengals and the Broncos play each other in an upcoming week here, which means one of those teams is guaranteed to lose one more game. And if it's the Broncos, the Patriots will be doing cartwheels because I believe conference record is the tiebreaker if the two teams didn't play it and the Patriots would have control of that over the Cincinnati Bengals even if the Bengals well no if they were to catch it depends on what game the Patriots would lose if they would lose an in-conference or a non-conference game but the point is the Patriots lost to the Broncos head-to-head you don't want the Broncos being the team chasing you so the Patriots had a very nice weekend their two main rivals lost they won got back on track they get Gronk back Again, the sky wasn't falling in New England. They lost a couple games. Was the Philadelphia game bad? Yes. The Tom Brady throwing a pick six and the special teams giving up a huge return, not good. But the point is, they're 11-2. and two. Nothing was ever wrong. The Patriots are just fine, and they're back in the driver's seat for that number one seed. Yeah, a couple concerning things, though. Uh, LeGarrette Blount left the game with the injury. Uh, Devin McCourty also left the game with the injury. They seem to be piling up for the Pats. Uh Obviously, there are two key guys that are more valuable than anyone else on that team, and that's Gronk and Brady. As long as they're healthy, I'm giving them a, a chance, but they keep losing weapons, and if that Blunt injury is serious, I mean, they're down Lewis and Blunt now. Uh, you know, you have to wonder how much, how many more injuries they can sustain and stay on top of the, the conference, but it looks like they are set to be the number one or number two seed. I mean, they have a pretty easy game against Tennessee. Uh, they'll have a challenge against the Jets, but then they're at the Dolphins. I, I think they'll be able to handle at least two of those games pretty easily. So uh, we'll have to see. But speaking of those Broncos, Khalil Mack, man, just... That guy <laughs> is an animal. My goodness. Five sacks, uh, forced fumble. I think, did he run that fumble in for a touchdown? I think he might have um he was just all over the place and it's rare to see a defensive player single-handedly win a game for his team but you have to give it to mac and a low scoring defensive game that that raiders versus broncos game was man that was 
really impressive to see. And he was just owning some of those offensive linemen. Uh, that, that was really impressive. Uh, now we, we're coming off a couple games where uh, Brock Osweiler, after having a relatively hot start, hasn't looked so good. You know, if the Broncos just scored one touchdown of those four field goals, they, they would have been in a much better situation and probably would have won that game. Chris, do you, are you still in favor of starting Brock over Peyton Manning whenever Manning returns? Right now, yes, because Manning's still hurt. But if Manning gets back, it just depends on how Brock is playing at the time. I don't know if Brock has done enough to completely cement himself as the starter. And if I'm going to go with my gut, I'm going to say that Peyton Manning coming back. I mean, look, man, the guy has earned the right to say move over. I'm sorry. The guy has earned the right to tell his coach, I'm playing, and the story, this is my last hurrah. I want to try to win this Super Bowl. I think if any player in the league has earned that right, it is Peyton Manning. So I think if Peyton Manning comes back, he's going to play. But when Brock Osweiler started off, it would have been a very, very, very tough conversation to have. Now I think that conversation's gotten a little easier because Brock is struggling. I think Brock has a bright future. I think he's got all the tools to make it in the NFL. And if he gets benched for Peyton Manning, it's not an indictment on him. I just think Peyton Manning has earned the right to tell a guy who is still in the early stages of his career, look, man, I'm going to Canton. I want one more run at this. Move aside. So I think that that's what's going to happen. And I have no problem with it, to tell you the truth. But, you know, we'll see. The Denver Broncos are a team that has a really good defense that doesn't play well at times. That second half... Oakland's offense really shredded through that defense, and, and they they owned the Broncos in the second half. And so that defense has had some inconsistent moments as locked down as it's been. I don't know what I'm getting with Denver right now. And to make matters worse, now I don't know what I'm getting with Cincinnati if Andy Dalton's out. So there's your two challengers to New England. But if we're going to transition again, I think a third a, a new challenger has emerged in the Pittsburgh Steelers I would not sleep on them in the playoffs yeah absolutely they seem to be getting it all together uh they were a a very hot pick early in the year uh dealt with some suspensions combined that with some injuries to Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell but that offense is clicking on all cylinders right now they don't really have any reason to if the run game isn't there okay we will throw it to three amazing wide receivers uh Antonio Brown Bryant and uh who's the last Wheaton Marcus Wheaton that's just a a three-headed monster right there and D'Angelo Williams has filled in very nicely Uh, and the defense uh the run defense particularly for the Pittsburgh Steelers has come together very nicely so they're currently uh in a three-way tie with the Kansas City Chiefs and New York Jets they're on the outside looking in just because of the tie breaks and all that. But I think that it's a very real possibility that they come in and get a wild card spot and they will be a very tough opponent to play in that wild card weekend. I'm with you, man. They are, they look like a very tough team that's kind of getting it all together and is going to be seated probably lower than they should be. Oh, certainly. But here's the thing. Let's see if the offense defense thing plays in this weekend. Cause that offense gets to take its show to Denver and face a nasty defense. Let's see how successful they are. Because, look, they scored 33 points against Cincinnati, but Ben Roethlisberger didn't have a fantastic game twice against the Bengals now. So the point I'm making here is 
when they run into solid defenses, now they played well against Seattle, so that is legit. They went on the road, they played well against Seattle, even though they lost the game. The point is, let's see how they can handle Denver this weekend, a nasty defense. That'll be interesting. Another team to watch that has a nasty defense, a defense that's almost quietly just as good as Denver, as some of the top units, the Kansas City Chiefs, who were buried at 1-5, have now won seven straight. Alex Smith having a very strong year. Bob, I mean, I liked, I like some of these teams fighting for those two wild cards. I actually like the Jets, Steelers, and Chiefs, if Andy Dalton's hurt, better than the Broncos and the Bengals right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a shame that the Colts at 6-7 and seven are, are guaranteed a away in or whoever wins that AFC South uh, when we have the Jets Chiefs and, and Steelers one of those guys are going to be the odd man out and I think I agree with you they're all really good teams I really like that Jets team when they have their guys healthy and they're they're all playing on Sunday they are very hard to beat and Ryan Fitzpatrick has has very calmly led that unit uh, to an eight and five record and the Chiefs man I, I think we pronounced them dead on the podcast when um Jamal Charles went down. It was we we thought we thought that was it, and they've kind of reinvented themselves. Jerry Jeremy Macklin has been a revelation for Alex Smith. He's actually throwing touchdown passes to wide receivers again. Uh, yeah, those three teams. Uh, I don't know who I would want to not play of those three if I'm one of the division winners that's going to have to play in the wild card weekend. Uh, did you see Andy Dalton's thumb? Do you see a picture of it? I have not seen a picture of it yet. I imagine it looks really, really nasty. It is incredibly gruesome and very shocking. I wasn't expecting to see it, and I just kind of scrolled through something and and saw it. And yeah, uh, I don't know how that's going to get healthy in a week or two weeks, but uh, hopefully he'll be healthy for the playoffs. Um, but yeah, that that's a, a very key loss for the Bengals, another team whose injuries. Who, who has been relatively healthy, but their injuries are, are coming at the worst possible time. Tyler Eifert uh, came back with a recovered from a neck injury, then left with a concussion. Uh, he's questionable for the next week. Uh, Vontez Berifisit, uh, their linebacker, he, he's dealing with some injuries. So uh, I don't think the Bengals, like some other teams, can really sustain a lot of injuries just because they're not as proven as some of those veteran quarterbacks. Um, they might be in trouble heading into the, the playoffs. Well, first off, I don't think any team can lose its starting quarterback and be a Super Bowl contender. And if the Bengals are down Andy Dalton, put a fork in what was a very promising season for them. I mean, I'm, and they looked like they were finally going to shake that monkey of not having won a playoff game in decades. It's a shame because they're an Ohio team. So, you know, even though I'm a Browns fan, I'm from Cleveland, the Cleveland-Cincinnati rivalry. But, again, I mean, they're an Ohio team. It would have been nice to see them have some success in the postseason, especially because I can relate to cheering for a team that's always in the dumps. And the Bengals, historically, have always been in the dumps, except for that couple Super Bowl trips in the 80s and things like that. But for the most part, the Bengals are not have not been very good. And you don't want to see a someone's season end like that I mean they you're gonna wonder what could have been if Andy Dalton can't come back for the postseason Bob if they lose out and Pittsburgh wins out Pittsburgh wins the division and I don't know how the tiebreakers shake out but there's a scenario where the Bengals could maybe miss the playoffs yeah that would be absolutely shocking if that 
is the case if that actually happens um you know we really don't know what Andy Dalton is going to how long it's going to take I've heard one week I've heard week 17 return uh good for them though they have the 49ers and the Ravens sandwiched between the Denver Broncos game so uh okay never mind They're yeah <laughs> even with Dalton out I think uh AJ McCarron showed that he can throw the ball uh on Sunday they have a good running attack they still have a good defense I think they can easily win one of those three games and uh if any dog and, and if they do that they'll they'll get a wild card at least and, and i think they have the tiebreakers for the division um because of the division record they split with pittsburgh if they beat baltimore they definitely win the division because they'd be five and one in the division so yeah yeah i i think that's a unlikely scenario i mean who knows maybe andy dalton's injury will just unhinge the wheels of what was a very good team but against the niners and ravens i don't see that being likely um, yeah, with the Niners and the Ravens on tap, I think they win at least one of those games and solidify a playoff spot. The question is, without a first-round bye, without that extra time for Andy Dalton to heal, because I do think that that loss will cook. Andy Dalton not playing will cost them a first-round bye. Will that be enough time for Andy Dalton to get back? Is three weeks enough? Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, News came out that he doesn't need surgery, so that's really good news. Uh yeah, we'll just have to see. I think they're kind of playing it by ear, and apparently uh, it's a pretty bad fracture, so bones heal at their own time. You can't really do anything about it, so uh, time will tell. Uh, all right, but let's talk about some of the, the, the poorer divisions in the NFL. Uh, starting with the AFC South, uh, the Colts still in the lead for that division at 6-7. and seven. They're tied with the Texans. Um, they got demolished by the Jaguars in that second half of that game did you have a chance to watch any of that no I was locked into the Browns game and I actually didn't watch the Browns game this weekend because I just I have punted on this season to tell you the truth but I couldn't watch the Colts get destroyed by Jacksonville but it I mean they got throttled by Jacksonville none of these teams in the AFC South deserve to make the playoffs and none of them deserve to hope they were going to host someone in the first round as the four seed that is ridiculous that is ridiculous. They should not have a home game. No, I'm I'm sick of this. Division championship should only get you in. It shouldn't get you anything more. It's garbage that one of these teams is going to play at home. In fact, I, none of them deserve to be in, but I'm fine with the division system. I wish there were fewer divisions so we didn't have this every year because that fourth division champion always seems like an undeserving team. And yeah, they might win a game in the playoffs because they're playing at home or whatever. But the point is... You know, it to lose the regular season a little bit. And honestly, I don't think any of these teams deserve to make it. And it could be Houston. I, I mean, Houston, I think, is the best of the bunch right now, as long as Andrew Luck is still hurt. And even when Andrew Luck was playing, the Colts weren't playing that well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are reports coming out now that Luck might miss the rest of the regular season. Uh, I, I, w- I want to see the Texans or the Jags make the playoffs. Texans, just because I think they are, in terms of the AFC South, like you said, the most the best team, the most complete team in the Jags, just because I think they're up and coming and uh, they can actually score in bunches. I mean, they, they trailed 13 to nine at the half and then outscored the Colts 42 to three in the second half. Uh, They just steamrolled them once they got going and they've been very hot and cold as has most of that AFC South, just because they've been so disappointing. I think there is a more disappointing division though and that's the nfc east uh kind of in a so oh, i agree with that in a very similar situation the redskins and eagles tied at six and seven for that division lead 
Giants at five and seven, and the Cowboys just with the the bunches of injuries they've had, particularly to Tony Tony Romo and Des Bryant, uh, sitting at the bottom at four and nine. Is it how impossible? Did you ever imagine that the Washington Redskins uh, had a chance to make the playoffs, which is three games left? Not in a million years, but first let's just briefly go over the NFC playoff picture. Seattle and Minnesota have two-game lead on the two wildcard spot. Carolina's won the division in a bye. Arizona's 11-2, and probably will win the division, and Green Bay's 9-4, and and I believe holds at least the initial head-to-head over Minnesota with their first victory. So those five teams are probably going to be your playoff teams, barring a collapse from Seattle and Minnesota. Let's go to the JV division of the NFC because this is another atrocity that a winner of this division is going to get to host a playoff game against a team looks like Minnesota and Seattle. Maybe Green Bay if Minnesota gets on a run, but I don't see Seattle winning that other division, and Carolina obviously has already steamrolled the NFC South. I don't like this. I don't like that the division winners guaranteed home games. I like that the division winner, you have to be a division winner to get a bye, but you shouldn't be guaranteed a wild card game. Washington is a not a good team. Philadelphia has been a mess all year. The Giants, this is why I keep saying this is a New York Giants type year because all these teams are waffling. The Giants are going, could backdoor into the playoffs and get hot like they do, that they did in 2011 and 2007. I don't know who's going to win this division. If New York beats Miami this week, I think they have a shot. But if they lose, then they have to face Carolina. I mean, they'd be 5-8 and eight and facing a must-win situation against the Panthers. That is not a good situation to be in. So if I had to pick, gosh, I really don't know. I mean, maybe – I kind of hope Washington pulls it out because they're another team that's down on their luck. But – I don't have much of an emotional attachment to any of these teams, and I certainly would think that the winner of this division would get rolled in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, none of them look impressive at all. Uh, I I cannot tell you who's going to come out on top because uh, every week it seems like another team is on top. The Giants had the lead for a second. The Eagles had it. Now the Skins are on top. I really don't know, and I and like you said, I really don't care because they, these three teams, look so weak right now, and and have very little playmakers, and uh, short for Eli Manning, don't have a reliable quarterback, and and that's kind of, you know, a game changer if you have that. So, yeah, it, it's very disappointing that we have two divisions where not a single team is above five hundred. That's just been kind of the way it, the way it's gone this year. We've had we had a ton of teams undefeated late into the season. We've had a lot of teams just suffering in mediocrity due to, in part, I think, uh, the large amount of injuries to to a lot of the stars. I definitely agree with that. It's been a bad year for injuries in the NFL. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys are four and nine, and they are two games out of the division. I they I don't think it's possible for them to get in because of the divisional rematches. Certain teams are going to play certain teams, but. That's just unbelievable. And really, I mean, if you're 4-9, and nine, you should be eliminated. I, I just don't like seeing teams with sub-500 records in any of the major sports postseason. I understand that sometimes it mathematically happens, but it's just frustrating. Now, again, Washington Philadelphia definitely could get over 500 or at least hit 500, but it's, I think we're going to see at least one team under 500 in the playoffs this year. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I, and obviously two, two are a very likely scenario. Um, all right. Well, one last team I want to talk about the Seattle Seahawks are on a four game winning streak in that time. They lost Marshawn Lynch. Thomas Rawls is now out, but the one guy who's remained steady throughout this four game win streak is Russell Wilson, 16 touchdowns to zero interceptions in these last four games. Uh, you're kind of seeing an evolution in their offensive game. Chris, do you think the Seahawks are going to be a scary team to play in that wild card matchup? In a wild card matchup? Yes. First off, let's talk about Doug Baldwin, who has been on fire benefiting from this Russell Wilson Wilson resurgence. And can you believe that Wilson's doing all this without Jimmy Graham, another big injury to that offense? So, yeah, their offense has been hit with injuries, but Russell Wilson has stepped his game up, and so has Doug Baldwin. And the Seahawks have changed from a more ground-and-pound team to an explosive passing team. And Wilson, again, keeping defenses honest with his legs. The Seattle defense is experiencing a bit of a renaissance. Still, only 235 points allowed. That's one of the best in the league, I believe, second only to uh, the Denver Broncos. So the point is, uh, Seattle has the scary defense and explosive offense and a quarterback who can make plays. The problem is they won't have home field advantage unless they face the sixth seed in the NFC title game, which, assuming they get above Minnesota for that sixth seed, the point is, I, I wouldn't want to face him in the wild card round, especially if I'm that NFC East champion, because I think they'll get annihilated. But when we talk about first round bye, I mean, I wouldn't like their chances against Arizona or Carolina on the road. Yeah, uh, just from the way we've seen it, I mean, Cardinals and Panthers do look like the the favorites in, in that uh, NFC. But, I mean, it's the Seahawks. They seem to be getting some momentum going, putting together a run. This is a team that's very experienced that I think doesn't need the luxury of home field that they desperately needed for their two previous Super Bowl runs. I mean, uh, obviously they they want that just because they do have a a well-documented advantage playing at home, but this is a team that's different now. They have tons of experience. Uh, Russell Wilson does not need, has proven that he does not need Marshawn Lynch's threat to be a successful quarterback, uh, he's thriving without him right now. So uh, if they continue this this momentum and string together three more consecutive wins, they they could be, you know, one of those wild card teams that we see make a run all the way to the Super Bowl. Let's just say one thing, though. Up until this game, he has had Thomas Rawls, and they still lead the league in rushing yards with 144.8. He lost Thomas Rawls early against the Ravens, it's obviously they're not going to be tested against the Browns and probably not against the Rams, even though they did lose to them in week one. But at the Cardinals, that'll definitely be a test if the Cardinals have anything to play for. I guess the point I'm making here is the last three games he has had Thomas Rawls, and Thomas Rawls has been running very, very well. This weekend will be the first game he hasn't had either Lynch or Rawls in that backfield. So be interesting to see how that offense changes yet again, adjusting to another injury. But looking at their schedule, I know these came throughout the course of the season, but they lost to the Packers in Green Bay, they lost to Carolina at home, and they lost to Arizona at home. I do think Seattle needs home field. I think that that's one of the scariest home field advantages in all of football. And I think that based on their record against these elite teams in the NFC this year, I cannot confidently say Seattle going on the road in the playoffs other than that wild card round, if it's against the four seed. Now, if it's at Green Bay, that's a little different. But Seattle beat Minnesota head-to-head, so if they're tied, Seattle would be the five seed. Against that NFC East team, I think they'll be fine. I don't see them beating the 
Cardinals or the Panthers, they might beat the Packers because the Packers have fallen a bit as the season's gone on. Yeah, um, next three games will be very telling for sure, uh, just how good the Seahawks are and how good the second half is for them. But I'm giving them at least a shot to to upset somebody. Uh, it's a team that I, I don't want to play, even if I am the Panthers or the Cardinals. Uh, that's if, if they keep putting this string together and if they are able to continue to run the ball, they look like a very scary team for me. Oh, let's also not forget the Panthers lost Greg Olson this weekend. He has been their best receiver. Um, now, now their best pass catching threat. Now, other receivers have emerged, but that'll be an interesting dynamic to watch. I don't know how serious it is. There have been conflicting reports, but it could be a big loss for Carolina's offense. We'll see. A lot of injuries this weekend. Uh, another kind of Black Sunday for injuries. A lot of teams just got snake bit. And as you mentioned earlier, it's been a terrible year for injuries all over the NFL, even in the preseason. I mean, Carolina lost Kelvin Benjamin, Green Bay lost Jordy Nelson. The list goes on and on and on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not just Greg Olson, but Jonathan Stewart as well. So, uh, you know, Panthers already were thought to be offensively limited heading into the season. Now two of their best playmakers are out. Uh, I mean, it, it will just add to Cam Newton's MVP resume if he continues to, to wield on the victory. That'll be very interesting to see the last three games, just uh, how good that offense can be moving forward. It'll just be icing on the cake. Yeah, it's like Bill Simmons's idea, you know, the different sized trophies for your MVP season. Have you read that column of his? Yeah, yeah. Like you get like a 23-pound trophy if you do something awesome, but you get like a two-pound trophy if you just like were handed the MVP because they had to give one out, something like that. Right. Well, I think he deserves a I big one. Cam, I think he deserves at least a 16-pound. Yeah. I don't know what his weigh scale was, but... I think I think Cam Newton has certainly earned his MVP this year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want us to talk about in the NFL? Not really. I think we've got, got it all. It should be a fun three weeks, at least in the AFC side. The NFC is a little more decided. But, yeah, it should be a fun three weeks. Um, have some MLB moves to get to, though, man. I mean, teams are balling out of control. Like the Cubs, we talked about John Lackey, two years, $32 million. Jason Hayward, eight years, $184 million. Tigers signed Jordan Zimmerman, five years, $110 million. The Diamondbacks made a trade for Shelby Miller, gave up some really good prospects. Jeff Samarja to the Giants. Now reports are um, Johnny Cueto is going to the Giants. A lot of money being spent. Bob, uh, what teams do you think got a good deal? Well, I mean, the you have to look at the Cubs as upgrading. Obviously, they, they added John Lackey. Jason Hayward, uh, you know, I thought the Cardinals trading for him was the steal of the offseason last year, and he did have a productive year, 293 batting average, 13 home runs, 60 RBIs, 20, stole, steal, 20 stolen bases, and a gold glove, but I was expecting more, and I, I just kind of wonder if he's ever going to get back to the year where he slugged 27 home runs and hit for 82 RBIs with, with the Braves and was a legitimate MVP candidate in that year. Um, I wonder if he's going to live up to that contract. But, I, you know, a player like Jason Hayward, is he worth the contract? Does not mean he's going to uh, make a positive impact on the field. I think he's absolutely going to upgrade the Cubs. They got Ben Zobrist uh, reuniting him with John Madden. I think that's a very – did I say John Madden? Joe Madden, Sorry. Um, re- Joe Madden, yeah, re- it's okay. I'm sure a lot of people make that slip up. Yeah, reuniting him with Joe Madden, his former manager in Tampa. 
you know, they continue to upgrade and they, they definitely look like the favorite. They stole uh, two guys, two key guys that the Cardinals were interested in signing in, in Hayward and Zobrist. Uh, and then I look at the West, you know, the Dodgers have not made a move. The Eurotis Chapman trade is on hold. They lost Zach Granke. They lost out on every big name pitcher to replace him. Uh, you know, Shelby Miller got traded to the Diamondbacks. So the Diamondbacks are, have been a team that's kind of floated around 500 for the past couple of years. And now they are spending some money and improving the giants. You know, they, they lay dormant a year after winning the world series. And now they went out and sped, spent big bucks on two starting pitchers. So that's Baumgartner, Cueto, Samarja, Kane, and then maybe Jake Peavy as your number five pitcher. You know, overnight the giants have a really good rotation again and look poised to, to kind of make another run. So, um, at least one team is emerging as a uh, playoff contender in the West and the Giants and the Cubs look to be kind of making a push to be the overall favorite for the World Series. Yeah, I'm not going to write off the Cardinals just yet. They moneyball it. Last year it was Hayward. We'll see what kind of value signings they get this year. Um, but you're right, the, the the Cubs certainly have made some moves. But those numbers for Hayward, I mean, $184 million for those numbers, I'm sorry, I think that's a little extreme. Uh, I think St. Louis was wise to pass on that. Uh, and the Diamondbacks, again, big moves on paper, but they remind me of another team that made big moves on paper last offseason that you and I both loved, and that would be the San Diego Padres. So I, I kind of take a wait-and-see approach. I certainly i am not disagreeing that these moves are, could have some impact, but I'm also not going to write off a team like St. Louis that every year passes on these kind of moves and still has one of the most consistent track records, at least of the last decade. So again, very impactful, should on paper at least help some of these teams, but we'll wait and see how they pan out. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think um, there's been a team that, that goes out and scores a bunch of prospects or a bunch of free agents with with big contracts that has that then propels them forward to be the absolute World Series favorite uh, ever since the 2009 Yankees uh, when they went out and added Teixeira, Sabathia, and uh, that other pitcher um, Burnett, you know, to a, to an already stacked team. You know, everyone was like, "Yeah, this is probably going to happen for the Yankees," and and it did. It came true. You know, we see teams spend a lot, uh, very talented teams add to their to their roster and spend a lot. And it just, you know, they, they certainly make the playoffs. Some of them do. Some of them are absolute disappointments, like the Boston Red Sox. Uh, you know, just Washington Nationals. Yeah, Washington Nationals of last year as well. Uh, baseball is too big a game and too long a season for you to just, for at least for me, to comfortably state that any team is the favorite to win the World Series. You know, 538 said that with all the moves, the Cubs are the World Series favorite, but just at 15% is, is the likelihood that they're going to win the World Series. That's the most in the MLB, but I mean, I'm not betting on 15%. Absolutely not. No, certainly not. Not when you're probably getting better, or better odds on the Cardinals. And next year is supposed to be a Giants year. They missed the playoffs, so now every other year, I mean, they should be back. So could be smart money if you bet on the Giants if you believe in superstitions. Yeah. But again, yeah, I mean, I think we're in agreements in the sense that, you know, big moves make the headlines, but wait to see how they pan out on the field to see if there's any substance behind them. But uh, just one more thing, you know, you said you're, you're kind of puzzled by Jason Hayward's worth. 
I have to wonder what Johannes Cespedes and Chris Davis are going to get on the market now. Uh, two guys who are yeah. proven home run maulers play very, uh, you know, Johannes Cespedes, a, a right-handed, very good corner outfield bat. I have to wonder he's going to, I have to imagine that he's going to at least match what Hayward got and, and probably command more just because of the nature of, of how he hits home runs. I think Cespedes is going to get a huge payday because he's not just a bat. He can play defense too. He has a cannon in right field. Yeah, I think Cespedes is going to get paid big time. Uh, Chris Davis is going to be interesting uh, because he had that MVP here, kind of came back down to earth, uh, had the whole, uh, you know, PED thing hanging over his head a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe a team can sneak him for a value contract. I don't know, but Chris Davis will be an interesting one to watch. I think he will get paid, but he might not get paid as much as you may think because of just a couple of extra things hanging around yeah, him. He, d- he did hit um, 47 home runs last year. That is true. So, man, he probably will get paid. Yeah, I find it hard to they pay, people pay. Yeah, people pay for the dingers. And, uh, you know, Nelson Cruz, his problem was he was a free agent right as it happened. Chris Davis had the PED thing happen, but then he still had another year to recover from it. So that's why Nelson Cruz had to sign the show me contract. So, yeah, you're probably right. He's probably going to get paid. Yeah, I would find it it would be a steal if he doesn't get a huge deal. So that will be very interesting to see. All right, a couple quickies. Baseball-related Pete Rose. His band has been upheld by Major League Baseball. Bob, that, that probably didn't surprise you that much. No, definitely not. Um, you know, there's precedent. Uh, Manfred didn't reinstate Shoeless Joe Jackson earlier in the year, so I don't know what this whole thing, why he was reviewing it in the first place. Uh, apparently, Rose admitted that he still bets on sports. I don't think that that's uh, the way to get reinstated into the MLB. So, yeah, not not really much of a story. I mean, it would be a huge story if he got reinstated, but the fact that he they held Pat, I mean, not surprising at all. No, not surprising. I will say this, though. I mean, MLB can invest in DraftKings and stuff. I, I do think it's an interesting dynamic there. Well, how come they can invest in DraftKings, but their players can't invest on games? Yeah, I mean, betting on your own sport when you're playing it, uh, I mean... That- oh, I agree <laughs> with that. That's not good. But don't you think it's also kind of a conflict of interest for these some of these leagues to invest in some of these, oh, I'm sorry, quote-unquote game of skill? Yeah, no, it's it's all gambling. Don't you think it's kind of a conflict of interest a little bit? Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely do. Um, it is, but I don't think that that plays into Pete Rose's case at all. I mean, you know, he, he did what he no, did yeah, and I, it hasn't – I mean, for a guy to – it's like – you, you commit the crime and then you continue to do that same thing, show no remorse or, or change your ways, even if it was wrong. I mean, now that you were in, you got in trouble for that, you should probably just avoid that just for perception's sake. And, and Pete Rose obviously hasn't. So I, I'm not advocating that Pete Rose get reinstated. I just think that, you know, baseball taking the hard line against gambling with its players I don't. I think sports leagues should walk the walk too, and maybe not invest in a site that is clearly promoting gambling and gambling on your sport. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. So, and another big news: Serena Williams obviously had a huge year in tennis. We talked about her a lot. She came so close to winning the Grand Slam. She won the Serena Slam, even though that her U.S. Open from the year before doesn't count for 2015's purposes. No doubt, it probably played a factor into Sports Illustrated naming her. 
Sports Person of the Year. They had to change it from Sports Man of the Year because she obviously is a woman, which is cool that a female athlete got recognized for her accomplishments. A lot of great athletes could have been Sports Person of the Year. Bob, do you think they made, do you agree with the choice and do you think it was a good choice? Yeah, absolutely. The year she had almost completing that Grand Slam, uh, yeah, she, she's definitely deserving of it and has had a very successful career to back that up. Um, yeah, the only other thing I can really think of that, that would come close to the year she had was uh, American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown, but that's a horse, and I don't want to see... It's Sports Person yeah. of the Year, not Sports Horse of the Year. Yeah, so I don't... Come on, man. Exactly. That's why I'm not <laughs> advocating for American Pharaoh to be on that cover. Um, other than that, I mean, Serena Williams definitely had um, individually... Uh, it's hard for a team sport to... to to be held up to the standard that Serena Williams had just in terms of the year she had. So yeah, I, I agree with it. Absolutely. I think the one guy who could have come close was Novak Djokovic, who essentially did what she did, but he lost in the French open instead of the U S open. I think if Djokovic wins that match, he wins this award because he would have won the grand slam. We had um, a male tennis player and a female tennis player, both almost win the grand slam in the same year. That would have been something exceptionally special and a triple crown. I mean, and we had Jordan Spieth chase a Grand Slam at least for two tournaments. And he, it's not like he was blown out in the other two. He finished second with amazing scores. So a lot of great candidates out there, but certainly Serena Williams, exceptionally deserving of the award. And anyone who disagrees with it, I mean, come on, man. Yeah, I don't, Give her some credit. Yeah, the, she had an awesome season, and she dominated women's tennis. So I think she only lost like two or three times for the whole year. So she was fantastic, certainly deserving. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. All righty, man. Well, we had a lot to catch up on. As Bob said earlier, we've been talking about college football, so we jam-packed this podcast, ran maybe a little bit over, but thank you for listening to the whole thing and making it this far. And if you did, you're awesome. But unfortunately, all all things must end, and we will be back next week with another edition of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Please subscribe to our Twitter Twitter feed, FenleyRDSports. Subscribe to us on Instagram, FenleyRoadSports. And please come back to FenleyRoadSports.com for more podcasts and other fun stuff. Until then, subscribe on iTunes. Catch up. We'll be back next week. Have a wonderful finishing your Christmas shopping and getting ready for the holidays. It's always a fun time of the year. Take care. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.